Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Love You Later Bye podcast. I'm Dr. Ray Mitch, your host, and it is a delight to uh, take a few minutes out of our day and, and uh, talk a little bit about uh, the things that we face, the life we live, the, the uh, key life lessons that I've been talking about. Uh, I am honored that you would take the time to, to listen, listen in. Uh, to some of the things that I have have to share with with folks, so um, <clears throat> I, uh, I I I want to start out with just with a question and, and reflect on it a little bit. We just finished up um, looking at uh, another key uh, theme or lesson of life that I have been talking about, and I offer it up to my um, uh, CCU psych seniors as a uh, token of my gratitude to have the opportunity to walk the path with them for three or four years, some maybe a little longer. And we've been looking at these various kind of life lessons or whatever. The one that we were talking about last night was uh, how do we go about becoming people who uh, can be known and who seek to know others? Uh, and that took us into a discussion of of the stained glass self, which is something that I've talked about for a number of years. And, and I, I kind of ended on the idea that um, how do we, uh, and I, I realized after listening to it last night, re-listening to it, that I was mixing metaphors a little bit because I was saying, how do we come out from behind the stained glass? And maybe the better question is, is how do we uh, find a way to uh, deal with the shame that is kind of the lead and the connective tissue of all these pieces of glass that I use to create an image for other people to buy uh, and to accept as who I am. I made the observation last night that when we live life this way, uh, we will be confronted with uh, uh, oftentimes what I hear a lot of is a sense of loneliness, is that people really don't know me. And some of that is, is of our own making and maybe of our own preference that we would rather have people know an image of what I project than the actual me. Because oftentimes I've heard people say over the years that if you knew me the way I know me, you wouldn't like me either. So I would rather not you know me uh, because you would make the same conclusion I do. Now, probably the most stunning fact of all of that is that when they take the risk of uh, entering in the kind of dangerous community I talked about last night, that who is known, that is known by grace and freedom, they find that people don't think like them. And there is oftentimes a chorus of voices that disagree with the internal narrative that we can, we can uh, develop behind the stained glass. The other quality of it that I didn't mention last night that I wanted to, to kind of circle back around and talk a little bit about was the one thing about stained glass is, as I said, it, it usually tells a story and it's very pretty and, and people uh, uh, accept what is there, but it also obstructs vision and it also diffracts or refracts light. And oftentimes behind the stained glass, it is a fairly dim place other, unless, it's, unless it has direct sunlight on it. And so there are lights and things like that that are necessary on the backside of that stained glass. 
I the thing that I want to point out is that shame grows in darkness. It grows in that dim light. And so as we have have gone about our lives constructing these stained glass and uh, uh, stained glass barriers, if you will, to other people, uh, they get to know that stained glass and they accept it as being the real person that we are. And we get farther and farther away from them. And at the same time, we end up getting farther and farther away from ourselves. So the stained glass self is, is developed over time. And I've got longer uh, lectures that I've developed that idea uh, on my YouTube channel. And, and if you're interested, you can always go there and, and check out some of the lectures. I'll forewarn you, it's not a sermon, it's a lecture. So uh, you're, you're sitting in on a class and uh, hearing me talk about some of these things. Although I've had some students humorously refer to my lectures as sermons, but that's a whole nother story. So the big question, the big begging question of, of the uh, half an hour or, or 20 minutes that we have is, all right, so uh, I accept the metaphor. I, I uh, re recognize that I have constructed a very exquisite and well-constructed uh, stained glass for people. And I, I've decided that I, I would really like to be known as I am. And that harkens back to the theme that we had two nights ago of being known as I am, not as I should be, because after all, the stained glass is creating an image of what I should be rather than the person that I actually am, because I don't trust you with, uh, with the perceptions that you would come to or the conclusions you would come to if you really knew the real me. So um, the question is, is how do I get rid of the stained glass, to put it kind of bluntly? And the challenge is, is, is three different things that I mentioned last night that I want to unpack a little bit tonight. The first, the first one is crisis. The second one is uh, self-reflection. And the third one is feedback. And crisis is an interesting thing. And that was the question I, I, I was kind of leading with as I came in uh, to this tonight is, how do you respond to crisis? Um, if you... <laughs> If you want to answer it, look around you now, because we're in a crisis. I mean, by definition, oftentimes crisis is something that is unexpected. It is out of my control, and it stretches my uh, emotional and other resources, physical and cognitive, and uh, it stretches those resources to a breaking point. And that's oftentimes what you see in a crisis. And the, the way that I'm hearing a lot of the news that I hear of people that are quarantined and uh, isolated is that that's a lot of what people are feeling, that they are feeling uh, uh, left with themselves and they're not real sure that they're really happy with the company, but it is a crisis. Now, the other part of that that I will point out maybe in a more humorous sort of way is that um, I've heard many preachers and pastors uh, say, and, and I still have yet to completely verify this, but that there is a Chinese pictograph as part of their language that uh, has within it, uh, for the word crisis, it actually has two component parts. Um, danger and opportunity. And while that preaches really well, I'm not really sure it squares with reality as, as it is. 
But all that to say, crisis really does create a window for things to change. And I, I certainly believe that we're in the midst of that as well, is that we're going to be rethinking a lot of things uh, out of the crisis that we have faced in being uh, in lockdown mode uh, and left with ourselves, left only with our family members, and not being able to get out and missing the social interactions and all the things that even I talked about last night with what Zoom does to us in our interactions with each other. But then the question is, is how do I leverage the crisis that I'm in to help me begin to melt the shame and melt the stained glass so that it can be to some degree transparent so I can be seen as I am. And the, the, the crisis that we're in actually provides the heat to do that. The challenge is, is how do I go about, as I said a minute ago, how do I go about leveraging that? And I don't know that, well, I do know that there's one thing I will not give you, and that's a formula to, to, to accomplish that. I think that uh, the crisis is actually the situation and the opportunity the self-reflection, which is the second item that I believe is part of dismantling the stained glass, is what we do with the crisis. If I'm going to say that I'm at an inflection point and there is an opportunity to rethink things, to um, reset some things, to recalibrate some things, then I've got to figure out where I am first before I can start to figure out what I want to recalibrate to. And that's looking at everything around me and including in me, the landscape of my relationships, what do I miss? Uh, and the landscape of my heart and what am I missing or not paying attention to? Because we can, we, we can take one other approach. I mean, if you really want to get right down to it and talk about it in terms of crisis and trauma, which is a class that I'm teaching right now, is that usually people have, most of us think that we have two responses to uh, a traumatic situation or a crisis situation. Either we fight it uh, and move into it and try to dominate it and uh, get things done more and capitalize on it, which I'm not implying that that's bad. It is one way to do it. Or the other part of what we do, and, and no one person does only one of these things, but the other one we tend to do and, and we talk about in terms of responding to stress is either the fight or, and everybody knows it, flight. I run away. Now, I can't run away out of my house. Well, I can, but I, you know, you know, I don't know, you know what the response is going to be. But I can, I can flee from it. I can flee into my head, I can flee into Netflix. I mean, we've got lots of stats about um, Netflix in Europe having to throttle things back because people are using it so much. And, and um, a, a lot of ways that we have to flee from the situation and the crisis we feel like we're in. And we just look at it and say, I just don't have enough resources. Now, nobody's gonna say that out loud or they may not even say it internally, but their behavior tells us that they say, if I face this head on and try to unpack my responses to it, 
I don't have the resources to, to do that. And therefore, then I best either fight it and, and deny its impact on me and put a nice bow on it or f- flee from it and uh, uh, distract myself in, into oblivion almost. So there's those two. The third one that you don't hear as much about is the freeze response, which oftentimes is in response. We might say it, the person's in shock, but it's the fight or flight or freeze. And we hunker down. We just hunker down and wait it out and hope for the best on the other end. And the, the reality is, is it's very much akin to the phrase you hear a lot of people say is time heals all wounds. And it's like, no, time doesn't heal all wounds. It's only what you do with that time as to whether or not it will actually heal anything. And that same thing is true with crisis, is my opportunity is provided me by the crisis. My tools of the trade, if you will, in responding to it is to engage in some reflection. Reflection of, like I said, of my own heart and what am I doing with it and what am I so afraid of or what... What am I uh, finding out about myself in the midst of this that I, I, I'm not real comfortable with and I'm not real crazy about? And that prompts me either to come out from behind the stained glass and, and talk to other people who might say, who might look me in the eye and say, yep, I'm there with you. I'm me too. I got that. I'm, I, I've got you. So there's, there's the crisis which creates the opportunity for us the self-reflection which tries to make sense of it. Now, not sense in the sense of explaining it, but tries to identify things because I, I, and again, this is something I said earlier, I can't can't change what I refuse to accept. And if I don't accept it, then I probably am not going to label it. And the one thing I know from talking to people for many years is that we disempower that which we label. We, We... we take the fangs out of it and its impact on us by dragging it into the light and talking about it, writing about it, um, finding other people to process it with. That's all really the, the logical outcome of the self-reflection that I'm talking about here. So we've got the crisis and the opportunity it provides the self-reflection and the things that I do to look at my response and what I like or don't like about it and how can I change it. The last one is feedback. And feedback is is kind of a double-edged sword because in some respects we have to find some ways to discern the nature of the people we are seeking feedback from. And I'm not talking about judging people and their character or anything like that, but not everybody that you come into contact with values feedback. They, they would rather go it their own way and, and oftentimes make some mistakes and pick up the pieces than, it, than they would in reflecting on it openly, verbally with somebody else and accepting their feedback. You know, it's probably the most difficult thing to hear from people that are in our lives who give us feedback about how we behave and what our behavior seems to imply and suggest to them. And usually it immediately triggers defensiveness <clears throat> because we're sure that something is, is being attacked and I need to defend it. But feedback is something that we desperately need. As a matter of fact, and I'll, tell, I'll take a, a brief side trip here and, and put on my psychologist hat. As a matter of fact, 
our entire neurological system, our cognitive system, our senses, everything is built on feedback. How can I modulate my voice if I'm not getting feedback about the sound of my voice, how shrill it might become or how what octaves it gets into when I get more animated about it, whatever that might be. All of our systems are built on feedback. As a matter of fact, when even in our muscular system, usually we have opposing muscle groups. You have the tricep in the arm and the bicep in the arm. One extends, one, one contracts. And what is that built on? Feedback. So somewhere along the way, we've gotten this notion that in the, our emotional systems, even in our interpersonal relational systems, we don't need feedback. We, we can figure things out, things out on our own because if we get the feedback and get, hear something that we're really not comfortable with or we get irritated by, which might be justified or whatever it might be, or we question the motives of the person who's giving us the feedback and we're not so sure that they have our best interests in mind, then we're probably not going to benefit from it. And really, that's why in Proverbs, Solomon makes that same point. He says, the wounds of a friend are to be trusted, which is a fascinating juxtaposition of words because he talks about wounds and then he talks about trust. See, it's in relationship that we begin to dismantle the stained glass and we begin to replace the shame with grace. Now that doesn't mean it just instantaneously goes away. It doesn't mean that at all. I, I said last night, this is a lifelong process of things that I either put things back in place, they, they kind of consolidate and cement into place and I've got to figure out a way to create, in a sense, my own crisis to, to pull these things apart and get grace back in there because grace, like I said last night, grace creates a space for change. I have yet to see over the course of four decades of working with people that under the conditions of shame, there will never be change. There won't be. We get stuck in patterns that we repeat over and over and over again. And that fits right into, you know, the uh, saying that is embedded in the AA culture. And what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And part of the reason for that is all of the messages that we carry with us, that we have had said to us, all the things that we log and repeat over and over again, is that I will never be good enough and I never will be enough enough and since that standard enough is always a relative standard then i'm i'm doomed under those conditions i i I will never reach that point now the one thing that is the antidote to shame is grace because it starts with acceptance acceptance for who i am as i am and then calls me forward to, to change that and, and continue to change that. Because grace calls us to continuity in the changes that we're making. Shame roots us in place by the person that we are. And we're doomed to always be that person. And that's where hope is. And that's where hope lands 
uh, or comes out or flows out of grace. And that's what is so important about dismantling the stained glass that we use. Because as we are seen with grace, whether from ourselves or others, then we will change. I said something to somebody today, and that is, is that when I am trying to avoid something, any direction will do. It's just any direction away. On the other hand, if I, if I truly want to change something, then it's what I pursue that brings about that change. And grace is the motivating engine to accomplish that. Because in a lot, you look at many of the instances of Jesus' interactions with people in the Gospels. He, will, he, he provides them with the necessary uh, meeting of their emotional or physical needs or whatever it was. And what did he say? Go and sin no more. Now, I'll lay money that it wasn't long before they were sinning again. But it was on the basis of the grace that was offered them that gave them the hope to say, okay, maybe I can try this again. And it's not because I am forever doomed as the person I am, but I can continue to change. And you see that in the story of Mary Magdalene, for example. I mean, if you think and dig down deep into that story, it's, it's a remarkable story because here's a woman that, that had, was demon-possessed, whether you believe that or is figurative or literal. She, she was demon-possessed, and Jesus saved her from that. And, that, and she was so um, remarkably changed because of the grace he offered her. It wasn't because she made a trade. She knew the trade. I mean, if she was a prostitute, she knew all about trades. I'll trade my body for safety. I'll trade my body for money, for food. She knew about trades. But here Jesus comes along and just simply heals her. <laughs> no trades, no bargains, nothing. And then says, go and live differently. <clears throat> Spend more of your life trying to, to uh, hit the target that grace offers us than always missing it, which is the very language of sin, is always coming up short and always missing the target. So that, that, that's the end of this, this kind of life lesson and theme that I wanted to talk about is seeking to become people who know and can be known. And that, that is a process that creates the kind of community I was talking about last night. And I would suggest to you that it's also, it's also the, the motivating engine for the kind of dangerous community that is... is a, a gracious community that is an authentic community that is one that is not colluding with each other to keep the images in place so that we are acceptable but who brings our ragged selves to the picture and and accepts others just as we want to be accepted and find the grace that we need to move forward into the next day and whatever whatever that looks like so i'll end with the question i started how do you deal with crisis? Do you hunker down? Do you try to dominate it by being, by being more controlling and more dominating of people and relationships and other things? Or are you one of those that freezes and just says, I ain't doing anything. 
I, or I'm, I'm sorry, I, I already covered that one. Um, so either you fight it and fight hard at it, or you flee from it and, and distract ourselves and, and uh, kind of pass the time waiting for the distractions to, to uh, numb the, the, the sense of helplessness and anxiety I have about the future. Um, or I, I hunker down. And, and wherever you land on that will probably direct your attention to whether or not this crisis can be leveraged for the kinds of potential changes that are made available to us in the midst of a global pandemic that nobody has experienced before. And probably in the future, we will be looking back at and say, man, I think there, there were some things there that I wish I had enacted in my life that all I saw was I just wanted to get out of it. And I believe, believe me, I am not casting stones. Uh, I, I, it was more, probably 13 years ago that I went through a crisis. And I look back at that and say, man, I, I missed an opportunity. And I really would rather not be in that, that boat this time around. It, there are things that this pandemic and this uh, crisis that we're in reveals about me that I'm, I'm not real crazy about. I, that, that'd, be, <laughs> that'd be saying it in a very tame sort of way. It reveals things that are uh, pretty ugly that I knew have been there all along, but now they are in stark contrast um, in the new context in which I'm operating. And it grabs my attention, and I want to move into it, and I want to begin to talk about it and see what it looks like on the other side so that I can get a clearer picture of what I want to pursue, not what I want to avoid. So thanks for joining me tonight. A couple of housekeeping things, like I've mentioned before. Uh, uh, if you're, there's things that I'm talking about that are interesting and, and uh, you, you like, uh, please be sure to subscribe. That's always helpful to do, whether that's on the website at Podbean at uh, raymitch.podbean.com or on my website at drmitch.com. Uh, if you subscribe on the website, you'll get a notification every time I put a new post up of, of the, the uh, podcast. Uh, there is a, on Podbean's uh, website, there's a pod, uh, podcast player that they offer. So if you do it that way, then you'll get notified of when a new podcast gets gets uh, released. Uh, this is the last one for the week, so we're gonna I'm gonna take a little bit of a break this weekend and recover from the week the week that uh, we I've been through and and uh, the losses and heaviness that that has been good to see but hard to go through. So there's that, and then the other thing I want to remind you and keep reminding you is that. We are in need of partners to, to partner with uh, me in um, creating a sustainable base to provide silent retreats for CCU students into the future. And so if you are at all interested and uh, some of the values and things that I'm talking about in these lessons of life um, are, are something that f feels compelling to you and you, you would like to be able to see uh, college students have the opportunity to to engage in a new but ancient way of engaging God in silence and solitude, please join us. It's on the website. You can click on CCU and go down to the silent retreats. 
there's a GoFundMe page there, and we're we're looking to to do everything we can to make it affordable for college students to go to. Uh, the world we're going into is going to be very trying for everybody from an income standpoint and from uh, affording things and and stuff like that. And um, I I am uh, praying for partners that are willing to help me offer these retreats for the CCU students. Um, so there's that, uh, the podcast subscriptions, um, and, uh, the silent retreat and a, the continuing invitation that I have to invite you back for another edition of the love you later by podcast, the psych monologues. Thanks for joining me tonight. And as I have been doing each evening, and I will do again, love you later. Bye.